I want to say before I get started, um, a word of gratitude. I have not had an opportunity uh, to say anything about this, uh, but last week, I don't know if you remember, things looked different up here, and now all of that's cleaned up. Uh, we, we went to several places to see Jesus' miracles, and uh, I just want to say a word of gratitude to everybody who worked so hard to put all this together, uh, to try to make a special event to teach our young people and uh, to teach them about Jesus. I did my only regret, well, I have two. For one, I was only able to be here through Monday night, so I didn't get to see Tuesday and Wednesday. But my other regret is what a golden opportunity we missed to finally lower someone through the roof put Will on a stretcher and show the paralytic miracle. We had that opportunity. There's even work being done on the roof, but we really missed that one. Uh, but uh, no, I appreciate so much the hard work that went into all of that. Uh, we had another successful VBS, and I appreciate all of you and uh, for the, the work and the, uh, the effort, especially in teaching and uh, trying to reach our young people. Philippians 1, I want to read in verse 27. Philippians 1.27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Well, what can I say to you guys? That's the question I've been asking for a couple of months here. This is the last time that I will be before you in this capacity. And so I thought I needed to say some words about that. I, I want to say first, I, I've got some personal remarks about uh, you all that I'm not going to say at this point because I want that to be us, just us, and not doing any uh, streaming out to the wider world. And so I'll do that after uh, the end of the service today. Uh, but I do want to say a couple of things uh, that are questions that I've been repeatedly asked by some of you and some people from other places who watch our services. Uh, one is... Several of you have asked me about the daily devotionals. You know, back in 2017, we started doing a daily reading and sending out an email. Last year, we started doing that as a podcast, the Fairview Daily Devotional Podcast. And uh, so I have agreed that I'm going to continue that through the rest of this year, all the way to the end of the year. We're going to finish out our year exploring God's grace. So nothing will change for you tomorrow, Lord willing. You'll wake up, and uh, if you're up at 3.30 or 3.15 or whatever, that'll be in your inbox. And uh, so that will continue through the end of the year. At the end of the year, I don't know what we're going to do, but it will probably no longer be through the Fairview website. Uh, so that's the plan for that. The other is I've had several people ask me where I'm going and uh, if there is going to be an ability for them to listen to my lessons or watch them. Uh, so the congregation I'm going to is called the Twin City Church of Christ. It's in College Station, Texas. And uh, as far as I know, there is a YouTube channel that you can uh, subscribe to and watch the videos and all of that. Uh, so uh, we're, I don't know what all the plans are for what we're going to do when we get down there with that, but definitely we plan to do that. Please don't do that instead of Fairview. That's not the idea. But if, uh, you know, when services are over and it's Sunday afternoon and you're thinking, wow, I wonder what he's up to, what crazy things he's preaching now, uh, you can tune in there at the Twin City. Uh, page. All right. Well, what can I say to you guys? I uh, counted up this last week that I have spoken to you at least in a sermon 368 times. And then when you start adding in, you know, Bible classes and invitations, and then for a while we did that class on Sunday night that I'm still not sure if it was a class or a sermon or what. 
uh, well over 500 times I've been in front of you. So what, what do you say? You know, I don't have any tricks up my sleeves. You guys know all my tricks. Uh, you've seen everything I know to do. You've probably heard everything that I think about pretty much everything. And uh, I don't like the idea of this time being focused on a person. Uh, this time is special. This is time where we study. This is time where we think together about God's things. And so while I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, I don't want to get in the way of any of that. I also thought, my car is packed, and we're leaving town, so it's time for me to finally say everything I've been waiting to say. This is all my problems with you people. <laughs> Sorry, I, I agreed to put in a gag slide. You guys know. We don't have any, enough time for that, but um, <laughs> no. <laughs> so what occurred to me as I was thinking about this is how often Paul, in writing to the people that he had worked with, leveraged his relationship with them to try to convince them or motivate them to do something. So in Philippians, that happens. Look back in Philippians 1 and verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all are partakers with me of grace. I hold you in my heart. Verse 8, God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So when Paul is going to talk to them, he wants them to know this isn't coming out of nowhere. We know each other well. And when you know somebody well, it changes the way you talk to them and it changes the way you listen to them. It changes the communication on both ends. And so we have a long and healthy history. We have been here for five and a half years. And I'm going to pull on that a little bit this morning. I'm going to say, like Paul does, that I want you to think about how your life is going to go from this point forward, whether it's here in my presence or what happens in my absence. So if it helps you at all in the things that we're going to talk about this morning, to think about if Jacob were here, what he would say or what he thinks about my life or my choices, if in any way that can impact you or motivate you, I want you to do that. If it matters at all what you think I might think about this local church, I want to give you some final encouragements because my hopes for this church, my hopes for you personally, are the same as Paul's. So I want to think through that for a few minutes this morning. First of all, I want to encourage you in my presence or in my absence to live worthy of the gospel. Verse 27 of Philippians 1. Philippians 1.27, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says that your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Worthy is never a state. We are an unworthy people. Yet, the call here is to live up to the tremendous grace that we've been given. So something awesome has happened to us. And now the call is live up to what you've been called to. Live up to the gospel call you've received. And Paul was an example of that. Paul's life changed radically because of the gospel. Because he heard about Jesus, his life did a 180. 
And he became a different man. And so he talks about that here. Remember we read, now he has partners in the gospel in verse 5. In verse 7 he says, you're my partners in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul's outlook has so changed that even though he is writing from prison, and even though everything has fallen apart on him throughout the book of Acts, you see the end of the book of Acts, all the things, the shipwrecks and the arrests and all the terrible things that have happened, he is celebrating and rejoicing because it means the gospel has been furthered so that the guard has now heard it. And not only that, there are some people, he says, who are trying to fill in my place. And they're doing it from bad motives, but they're preaching the gospel. And as long as they preach Christ, I rejoice. So everything about Paul has been changed because of that message. That message is more than words on a page to Paul. It is his life. And now he says, live worthy. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel that you've received. What impresses me is that even when he's suffering for that gospel, Paul is still trying to live worthy. Look in verse 20 with me. Philippians 1 and verse 20. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul is contemplating, I'm in prison, and there's one of two possibilities. I'm either going to die, or I'm going to be released. And either way, it's good. Because if I die, I get to go be with Christ. If I live on, I can serve you and continue to help you. But notice the wording there in verse 20. He says that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. I love those two words, as always. That in the same way it always happens. That has been my commitment from the day I submitted to the Lord Jesus. As always, I want him to be honored in my body. As always, speaks to long days of obedience stacked together. As always, speaks to a million prayers. And a thousand decisions to say no to temptation. And a hundred mornings where Paul gets up and says, today is the day where I pray or I worship or I preach. How many times had he sat down to share a meal with his brothers and sisters? How many times had he lived an ordinary day just serving people, just examining himself, just making hard choices, just standing up for the gospel? How many days can be encapsulated in that one little phrase, as always? Today is a day like any other. I may wake up today in prison but as always, that Christ may be honored in my body. Keep serving the Lord like that. Let your life be worthy. Give Him what He deserves from you. So verse 27 then says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. A manner of life. A pattern for how we behave and how we treat people and the decisions that we make and the way we use our body. That pattern, let it be worthy of the gospel. What Jesus has given me demands a response from me, not just a response of faith and obedience, a response that says he deserves something and I want to live up to what he wants from me. Turn the page to Philippians 2. In Philippians 2 and verse 12, notice how Paul is still using this language, whether I come or I don't come, whether I'm present or absent. Philippians 2 and verse 12 Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
work out your salvation. The idea is not, sometimes we get this idea, the idea is not that salvation is like a really hard algebra problem. And you've got to sit down and work it all out. Okay? That's not work out your salvation. The idea of work out means doing the work that is a natural part of your salvation. If you have been saved, you do the things saved people do. You bear the fruit that becomes someone who belongs to the Lord. And so he says in verse 12, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul is saying, I remember when this all started and you started working out your salvation, but now I'm not with you anymore. And so the same way you started when I was there, keep it going when I'm gone. Keep working your salvation. He is leveraging his relationship with them. If I hear about you, he says, let it be good things that I hear. So I'm not Paul, but I have to say the same thing. I may not see you for a while, but I hope and pray that the faith and the good work that I've seen start and continue here in my presence will keep going in my absence. So if I hear about you, please, let it be good things. I want to hear good things about Fairview. I want to hear good things about you. I want to hear that there is peace here. I want to hear that there are new elders and deacons. I want to hear that we have kids who are maturing into disciples. I want to hear that you're outgrowing this building. I want to hear that pretty soon, by the way. I want to hear that you're marrying well. I want to hear that you're learning and growing and becoming even more of a beacon for truth in this area. But let me tell you, I don't want to hear that you've quit the faith. I don't want to hear, oh, we just don't see her anymore. I don't want to hear, well, he caused trouble here. I don't want to hear he left his wife. He's no longer serving the Lord. Especially, I want to urge you, when Paul talks about the gospel, keep pursuing the gospel. You keep reading, you keep studying, you keep trying what you learn here and testing it to be sure that it is good. Ask the question, what does it mean? What do I need to do? How does this change me? How could I be different? Do I need to re-examine this or do I need to re-examine myself? How can I live worthy of what God has done for me? Go back with me to verse 27, Philippians 1, 27. The second thing I want you to see here is keep working together. Keep working together in my presence or in my absence. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm, one spirit, one mind. Doesn't it remind you of Acts 4.32? Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Working together, one heart, one soul, one mind, one spirit. Unity. Let unity characterize and define this church. Unity. Work together. Now there are some problems in Philippi. Paul's concerned about them. Yodia and Syntyche are at odds. He wants them to get along. There are dogs somewhere. Somebody is attacking the church and they're considered dogs. He knows those are problems to be confronted. But the way you confront problems 
is not by saying somebody take Euodia's side and somebody take Syntyche's side and then we'll all divide. The way you solve those problems is to keep working together side by side, striving for the faith of the gospel. That unity cannot be compromised. Keep working together. Verse 28, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I have. So you especially need to stick together because there will be opponents and there will be trouble and there will be, in his words, persecution. Difficult times to come. Suffering is going to be a part of our lives. It's going to be a part of our congregational life. We have experienced this in my time here where there has been suffering that we have gone through as a congregation. Some of it has been individual where there has been cancer, there has been death, there has been divorce. Some of this, though, has been bigger where people have hurt us as a group or spoken ill of us as a group. How do you respond when things go wrong? Paul says, keep working together. Don't let unity be compromised just because things are hard. Now, I don't know the future, but I can say there's at least a strong possibility that the way our society is moving, there's the possibility of persecution of either a social or a governmental variety that is coming for Christians. And the response to that is not that we should all put our heads in the sand and get really scared. The solution to that is we're going to keep working together. Nothing is changing. But we're prepared, and we're not going to let that tear us apart. Contend as one man for the faith. I have seen this in this congregation. It's impressed me. I have seen this church rally to needs. I have seen this church support the weak, take care of people who are hurting. And my encouragement is, don't let that stop. Whatever you do. Keep working together. Look in chapter 2 with me in verse 1. Philippians 2 and verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Part of that unity is a spirit that we think the same way about things, that we look at the world in similar ways. No one is trying to get their own way. This local church cannot be characterized by backbiting and infighting and trying to get to be the most important person here. I want to be the one who's in charge. I want my way. Unity cannot exist in that mindset. Instead, what he says is, we don't achieve unity by sweeping everything under the rug. We achieve unity by all pursuing the mind of Christ. Where if we're all looking out for one another, then suddenly things are at peace. We are serving instead of trying to force others to follow our lead. So I want to say it this way. There are going to be obstacles that this church will face in the days ahead. You'll have opponents... You'll have discouragement. You'll have hard times. There is a lot of work that needs to be done in our homes. There is a lot of growth that needs to happen for our young people. 
There is a lot of equipping that needs to happen for teachers and for the next generation. You're going to need patience for those who are immature. You're going to need to serve each other, and sometimes that just takes it out of you. There's a lot of teaching that needs to happen. There's a lot of confrontation of sin that needs to happen. Don't turn on each other. Keep working together. So if I hear about you, let me hear that. Let me hear the continued testimony of a force for good in this part of the world. That Fairview is that. Let me hear about the growth that comes from a group that is too strong in the Lord for what Satan is trying to do. A group that is growing not just in number, but in spirit and in strength. That's what I want to hear. But don't let me hear, please, that there is griping and sniping. Don't let me hear about people who are leaving again because they just didn't like something the elders decided. You know, there are some congregations, I'm sure you know this, there are some congregations of Christians that just can't ever seem to figure it out. And they may be of some size, but they don't ever seem to get out of their own way. Their problems keep forcing them to stay small and to stay divided. And so they can't even get around to pushing the message out to the world because they're, they're at odds among themselves. Don't let that be you. Whether I'm here, whether I'm gone, keep working together. You know that in my presence, we have had a great working relationship. It has been a wonderful, joyful thing to be here and to see Christians who don't always agree, but because they have the same spirit able to work together, even when I'm not here, I pray that you'll let that continue. The third thing I want to say is have confidence in God. Look back in Philippians 1 and verse 28. Have confidence in God. He says, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So your united front, your steady way of living like Jesus is having an impact because of the one you're confident in. And he says it specifically, it is like an omen of destruction for those who are your opponents. When they see that nothing they do or nothing that happens to you stops you from living the way you should, they see, oh, this is not good, at least not for them. And then he says, it is the path of your salvation. And he says this at the end of verse 28, and that from God. Don't forget, that's from God. As you work together, I want to remind you of something that often goes unsaid but needs to be resaid. That God is the one who is at work in you and through you, both in your home and your personal life and in this church and in this community through you. And Paul stresses that. He talks about in chapter 2 how if there is any encouragement of Christ or any fellowship of the Spirit, have the mind of Christ. Look down, though, in chapter 2 and verse 12. Chapter 2 and verse 12, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, fear and trembling are appropriate to the fact that it is God. It is not just any man who is at work in you. It is not just that you are involved in a self-help project or having a cool community club. It is God who is at work in you, 
both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And my encouragement to you is have confidence in God, not in men. This church is not about a man. It is not about a preacher. It is not about a group of elders. The work that is done here is done and is sustained by the God of heaven. Some of you have been very kind to me. And you have told me that you thought that I have done good work here. And I appreciate that. It's certainly better than the alternative. But I want to stress, it's God who is at work, not me. You see, preachers come and go. And God can use them. But God doesn't need me. And you don't either. Because God is at work. Paul doesn't want the Philippians to think that they can't survive without him. And so he says, if I'm not there, don't forget. It's God who is at work in you. You still have the Lord. He says, you're going to be fine because you belong to him. There is a really interesting expression that the Bible uses when Paul leaves a church. So, of course, I've been thinking about this because I'm thinking about leaving a church. But it is used in two places. Uh, This is Acts 14, verse 21. It says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. That word that I want to highlight is this word right here, committed. They committed them to the Lord. It is a word that means to entrust. It is the word Jesus uses when on the cross he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I entrust my spirit to you. It means to give someone or something into the care of another. And so you hear what they're doing. It is as if Paul is saying, all right, I've done what I could while I was here with you and now I give you to the Lord. Sort of like the, uh, the father of the bride, you know, giving his bride away. I entrust you to the Lord in whom you have believed. So Paul is saying he's leaving them, but he's not leaving them alone. He is leaving them in the hands of the Lord in whom they had believed. The other time this is used is in Acts 20 and verse 32. This is where Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. And so there is this sort of weeping scene. It's the last time they're going to be together. And he says, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And that word commend is the exact same word. I entrust you to God and his word. I leave you in good hands. You have all that you need. I am thankful for the trust that you have placed in me to speak God's word to you. But you are still in the safekeeping of the Lord in whom you have believed. You still have the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. And I commend you to that. I hear a lot these days about uh, the future of the church and the demographics of our nation. And what's going to happen? You know, there is a rising number of people who mark the the nun box on the religious affiliation thing. Not the N-U-N, but the N-O-N-E. Not more nuns but more nuns. And I hear a lot about that. And and so as younger people sort of move away from spiritual interest and religious affiliation, it's natural to worry about the next generation. So what's going to become of Fairview? What happens here? 
Well, I have to tell you. For one, I'm very encouraged about the future of this church. I don't have concerns that this church is going to fall apart in the next 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 years. But more than that, I have confidence in God. God will have his people. There is always a remnant. And we don't need some kind of secret sauce to make that happen. You know, how do we figure out how to make the church happen in 2021? It's the same way it's always happened. You preach the gospel and people come. We don't need a particular man. God's going to provide. I encourage you to trust him. Well, there's a lot more I could say, but there comes a point where words fail. My earnest prayer is simply this. Live worthy of the gospel. Keep working together and put your trust in God. This is the time of our service where we offer the invitation for anyone who has a need and is ready to give their life over to the Lord Jesus, to become a disciple of Jesus, be baptized into Christ, or if there's a need that you have that we can help you with, to pray with you, or in some way to draw you closer to God, we invite you to come to the front right now as we stand and sing to encourage.